Namaste everyone. I'm just waiting for uh, a minute more so that people can join in and then I'll start. Namaste. Uh, my name is uh, Sahana Singh and uh, I'd like to welcome you to the Indic chat today. Uh, and uh, before I start, I want to thank uh, Indic Book Club and uh, Indic Academy for organizing this chat and also the media partners Creative India magazine and uh, Swarajya magazine for uh, uh, allowing me to reach out to a much wider audience. I hope everybody can hear me. Uh, please uh, write some comments to show that you can hear me. Yeah, I hope people can hear me right now. So um, I'm going to talk for about um, 25, 30 minutes. And at the end of it, I'll take some questions from you. So, um, uh, so uh, the, the, I have recently written a book called The Educational Heritage of Ancient India, How an Ecosystem of Learning Was Laid to Waste. So this book is available on uh, Amazon, on Flipkart, and uh, various other online platforms. Uh, you can search for the book either by the uh, title of the book, or you can uh, search by my name, Sahana Singh. The book is, uh, it costs about uh, 280 rupees uh, for the print edition in India. And the, uh, the Kindle version is about 100 rupees. So I think it's quite affordable. People, please, please write some comments to know, uh, so that I know that you can hear me. Uh, I hope that my mic is working well. Uh, so to tell you about my book, uh, my book takes you to the time when India was the educational capital of the world. Uh, it was a time when the whole country was full of universities across its length and breadth. Uh, and uh, most of us have only heard about Nalanda or uh, Takshashila at the most. But there were scores of forest universities, uh, uh, the, the, the Viharas, the temple universities, the Agraharas, the Mathas, a variety of educational institutes were spread out over the land. And there was a rush to gain an uh, education from the Brahmin and the Buddhist scholars of India uh, in a manner similar to the rush we see today, uh, where the students are flocking to uh, Ivy League universities in the US or to Oxford uh, and Cambridge in the UK. So India was like that in uh, ancient times. Uh, so the foreign students came from China, Japan, Korea, Western Asia. Basically, whichever part of the world was civilized at that time wanted to send its students to study in India. Uh, you might have heard of uh, the, the Chinese travelers called Fahia and uh, Zhuangzang who came to India and uh, left behind their accounts. They studied in various places. You know, they studied in uh, Nalanda mainly, traveled around India, left their accounts. But uh, there were actually many, many other uh, scholars who came to India, not just Fahia and Zhuangzang that I've mentioned frequently. There were hundreds of them who came. And uh, they made very perilous journeys across uh, seas, across mountains. Some of them nearly lost their lives uh, while coming uh, to India, traveling to India, in order to somehow reach one of the top universities. But even after all their effort, there was no guarantee that they would get admission in any of these top universities. That's how it was. So 
Uh, in fact, in Nalanda, only 20% of the students who applied would get admission. Uh, so about 80% of the students would be turned away. Um, and maybe because of that, the, in the villages surrounding Nalanda, there were many uh, uh, professors, uh, maybe retired professors or uh, teachers, who would give uh, coaching lessons to help students to get admission in Nalanda. But today, uh, when you see these coaching centers for IIT JEE and for you know, the law exams, the medical exams, you know it's not a new phenomenon in India. And uh, in the Gurukulas and the temple universities of India, there would be a beautiful uh, graduation and convocation or convocation ceremonies at the end of education. And they were called Samavartana. So uh, in, during the Samavartana, the gurus would uh, chant beautiful mantras, reminding the students about what, their, uh, what values they need to uphold, what they must remember when they go out into life. So, um, it, so in my book, I've tried to give you a flavor of the period when there was an ecosystem of learning, right from top to bottom. Uh, it was as if the whole society wanted to, uh, it knew its responsibility of, uh, uh, of protecting the scholars, the, the professors and the students. So they would contribute funds to uh, the universities. They, they knew the importance of uh, the students and the professors having the food to eat, uh, clothes to wear and medicines when they fell sick. So they all uh, knew that they need to take away the burden of uh, earning from the students and the professors so that they could focus on learning. So that was the society of the time. Uh, and also the education system was very interdisciplinary. It was very holistic. Uh, and I also want to mention that they were, uh, the women were also a part of the education system. There were uh, a, a couple of uh, many, I mean, there, in, in Mahabharata, you'll find a mention of ashramas, which were headed by female rishis. But even in other places, you will find a reference to very educated, very knowledgeable women. And there were uh, Brahmavadinis, the women who did not get married, who wanted to devote their whole life to learning. So they were called Brahmavadinis. And uh, it was, it was uh, not frowned upon uh, for women to devote their life to education. In fact, I have a whole chapter in my book about women's education. Uh, another thing is that if you have noticed that we Indians tend to debate a lot, we just argue and argue about the smallest of things, then you will be interested to know from my book that uh, it comes from the debating traditions uh, from ancient times. So uh, there were protocols of debate, there were rules on you know who, uh, how you, uh, how you should debate. What are, what are the, what is the, how is, the, how do you behave? And one of the interesting things was that um, uh, a, a good debater was expected to know his opponent's point of view before he took him on in a debate tournament. So uh, a good debater was to be, was to have read all the the books written by his opponent, and he should have known how to uh, argue from his opponent's side, as if he was the opponent himself. So that was the kind of preparation he went with when he uh, debated uh, with, a, with an important scholar. So uh, this gives you an idea about uh, why we have so many schools of thought, so many philosophy schools in India, because it, there was a spirit of debate. And obviously, there are thinking, logical people. And so there can't be just one school of thought. There were many, many schools of thought all coexisting. Uh, and uh, before I proceed, I forgot, I wanted to show you uh, the map. I have, I have uh, uh, 
sh shown a map with all the universities the, uh, of ancient India. Of course, they didn't exist at the same time. But uh, so I wanted to give an idea about the universities. So you can see Vallabhi uh, in Gujarat. That, and then on the other side, uh, in the Bihar, Bengal, and Orissa area, you can see uh, uh, so many universities. In the north, you can see the Sharda Peet. I hope you can see it. You can see uh, Takshashila. And then in the south, you see so many temple universities. And over here, I want to mention the Kantalur Shala University. Uh, so this was called the Nalanda of the South, something that I discovered uh, while, while doing this book. And Kantalu Shala had a, an amazing spread of subjects, which was unsurpassed at that time. And uh, they even included the subjects like martial arts and uh, uh, the Charvaka School of Philosophy. So, and then there was Trisur the, with the Kerala School of Mathematics. Uh, and uh, in my book, I have talked about the uh, knowledge transfer from India to other countries. How knowledge went from India to China to uh, West Asia to Europe. I've uh, traced the path of uh, this transfer. So during my research, I was quite surprised to see that there were so many Indian scholars who went and settled in China, who went and taught there. So for example, the, the, top, uh, uh, the top professors from the universities in India would be invited by the Chinese kings to come and uh, head the edu uh, educational institutes there. Or they would be you know, tasked with uh, translating all the Sanskrit works into Chinese. And mind you, most of these Indian uh, professors who went to China would get Chinese names when they went there. So today, when you hear of them, you might not know that they went from India. So one such uh, professor was Gautam Siddha. Uh, I think he had a different name in Chinese. So he was invited to be the uh, president of the official board of astronomy in China in the 8th century CE. And he was the person who took the Navagraha calendar to China. He took the Indian numerals to China. So you can imagine how uh, Indians have built the knowledge system of China. Then uh, even the invention of the printing press in China was done by, a, uh, by the Buddhist scholars who went from China. And subsequently, they used the printing press to spread Buddhist doctrine in uh, China. Then in my book, I have made reference to the uh, uh, research of Dr. Raj Vedam from IHAR, uh, who has done a lot of work on the, the, the pathways of uh, transfer of knowledge of Ayurveda and the sciences from India to Europe. So he has uh, spoken about the Toledo School of Translators in Spain. And uh, so this Toledo School had a big number of scholars who were busy day and night translating Arabic works into Latin so that they could be disseminate, uh, disseminated in Europe. And most of these Arabic works were actually the Indian works. So the Indian, uh, uh, the, the Indian works of Aryabhata, Brahmagupta, Bhaskaracharya were all translated by the Arabs. And then in the Toledo school, they were en masse translated into Latin. So I have given many data points uh, which I got from Dr. Raj Vedam. Then um, in my book, I've also referenced Dharampal. Dharampal, who made astounding discoveries about the Indian uh, elementary schooling system, the primary schooling system, which uh, he actually came across a bunch of surveys conducted by the British themselves, in which they are commending the Indian education system, which uh, taught the alphabets, which taught mathematics, which made them proficient in languages and all that. So I've included that. And then also my book looks at the uh, destruction of the 
traditional education system, how the, the Muslim invasions impacted the universities, how the British uh, colonial rule uh, completely put us, you know, completely broke up the traditional education system. So I have traced the, the whole story there, if you are interested. Um, and now I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I am uh, from Karnataka. I was uh, born in Mysuru. So Kannada is my mother tongue. The, the Singh surname comes from my Rajput husband. So women get this delightful opportunity to uh, take on their husband's names and reinvent themselves. So that's what I did. Uh, in addition, the, you know, I like to put off, I like to confuse people about which state I come from. Uh, so coming back to my book, um, I had no idea it would uh, become a book. So uh, I was uh, asked by Nitin Sridhar of India Facts to contribute some articles to the, to the web magazine. So I started asking questions for which I wanted to find answers and then wrote articles based on that. So one of the questions that came to my mind was, how did India go from being the world's education capital to the depths of illiteracy in recent times? So in, uh, I took up the question and I uh, accessed a lot of documents and then finally wrote those articles. Those articles became very popular. They were shared widely. I got hundreds of letters. And uh, I also got this feedback that uh, people wanted me to combine all the, all the parts of the article and make it into a book. So that's how this book came about. And then it came to, when I came to publishing the book, I realized that I'm not a known face in literary circles. So uh, I cannot wait for a conventional publisher to find me and make me famous. So I decided to, uh, do the go the self-publishing way. I chose Notion Press. And the advantage of self-publishing is that um, you get to uh, you get more control over the process, the, the operation. So uh, I learned a lot uh, during this uh, process. Um, and to tell you about what about my education, I uh, studied in Delhi College of Engineering. I did my bachelor's in civil engineering, followed that up with a master's in environmental engineering. Then I worked in uh, HPCL, Hindustan Petroleum, uh, the, the chamber refinery for a couple of years. And that's where I met my future husband. We moved to Singapore uh, for 13 years. We lived here. And then we moved to the US for about uh, uh, four years. And then we have moved back to uh, Singapore now. Um, and actually, in the past 17 years, I have been mainly writing about water. So I'm the editor of a magazine called Asian Water which is a magazine on water, wastewater, uh, water supply, uh, wastewater treatment. And it is read by the professionals and the engineers in the Asian region. So that has what I've been doing for most part of my working life. Uh, but now I have uh, got, uh, I know I have uh, dived into history. I was actually always interested in history. If I go back and think, even in school, I was very keen uh, to read all about ancient India. But of course, in those were the days when I would believe everything that was in the textbook. So I believed that I believed in the Aryan invasion theory. I thought Aryans came to India, gave us Sanskrit, gave us uh, horses, gave us uh, you know gave us every, uh, gave us basically whatever we are proud of. And then um, and then the British came and they gave us the modern education system. They gave us uh, um, the, they gave us this uh, you know the law and order. They gave us railways and such things. But I had a very good uh, history teacher, Mr. K.K. Singh, who was an expert in medieval history. And he used to lend me a lot of his books on uh, the medieval, the rule of medieval sultans in India. 
So those books also intrigued me. I took them home and read all about uh, Al-Tamash and uh, Qutubuddin Ayberg and all the, the Delhi Sultans. So I, I, I learned a lot about uh, the medieval uh, rule, the medieval kings. And then um, uh, uh, so life went on. And then later in life, I came across uh, Dr. Aris uh, uh, N.S. Rajaram, who was my mother's close childhood friend. So he, um, he introduced me to the works that he had co-authored with Dr. Uh, David Frawley. And those books simply shook me up. And I realized that uh, a lot of things that I had studied in my textbooks was all wrong. I need, needed to revisit history. And that's how I started reading books by Dr. Subhash Ka, uh, uh, Dr. Mikhail Danino, uh, uh, Rajiv Malhotra, and so on. And, and the learning is still going on. But still, I never imagined that I would sit down and write a book on history. I thought that is something that uh, you, know, you leave it to the PhDs to, to write about history. But there were two events that triggered me to start writing. The first was when I saw an article in New York Times which said that, um, that the, you know, the problem of open defecation in India and the poor hygienic practices came from the ancient texts, ancient uh, uh, Indian texts like Manusmriti and others. So that was the most preposterous remark I had ever heard. And I thought I must do something about it. And then, uh, and we were in the US at that time. And then my daughter, uh, uh, she had this textbook. She was prescribed a textbook called World Civilizations, uh, uh, the Global Experience, something like that. Uh, World Civilizations, Global Experience, AP edition. And uh, that had very little about India. And even in that very little, there was there was some horrendous, ignorant remarks. And uh, I, I, I remember once uh, such statement. It said, the the Indian caste system uh, is a uh, is a uh, perhaps the most extreme form of social organization, which uh, violates the most revered principles on which Western, uh, modern Western society is based. So then I said, what the hell is this? I mean, the modern Western society is all egalitarian. And then the, the Indian society is painted as, as some kind of ghastly uh, system where there's uh, this, you know, where people are oppressing each other. Then these two events made me realize that I need to work. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done in correcting the narratives of Indic history. I also realized that we are all colonized in some way or the other. The way, the way we look at ourselves, the way we look at our culture, our festivals. I realized that we were so colonized. Um, and around this time, I also came into contact with some brilliant people in Houston. Uh, they were all members of Indic uh, Indian History Awareness and Research. So IHAR, and I met Dr. Raj Vedam, Dr. Subrata Gangopadhyay, uh, Dr. Sharat Menon, Dr. Bharat Srinivasan. And uh, we had, I had a lot of exchanges with them, I, a lot of debates and discussions, which are still going on. I'm now a part of IHAR uh, myself. Um, and around the same time in 2014, my Facebook wall simply exploded uh, with a lot of people joining in, uh, in the discussions that I would start. And uh, uh, and I, I, I got the feeling that there was a convergence towards, uh, you know, finding out more about our past, you know, digging out uh, the narratives that we that had been hidden from us. So that's how it all uh, it, uh, it evolved. Um, today we are lucky that you know we have a computer in, through which we can access so many papers, so many books. The entire digital libraries are available for us. So I think we don't have any excuse to be 
ignorant today. And uh, in this context, I must thank Indic Academy because they have made uh, uh, online library resources available to authors like me and making good use of it. Um, and they've also uh, enabled the authors to learn, uh, Indic authors to learn Sanskrit if they want to. So I availed of that as well. I, I joined an online uh, Sanskrit course. So I think it's very important for us to learn Sanskrit uh, because that would help you to uh, understand our texts better, to know the real uh, meanings. And today, a lot of my friends tell me, the ones who have gone deep into Sanskrit, that they are, uh, they are, uh, they are far more decolonized today than they were before. So uh, one of the comments I get a lot from people is that, why are you studying history? Why do you need to uh, you know, uh, talk, uh, just read up about the glory of uh, ancient India or how it was destroyed by the, uh, the marauders, the invaders, and how the British ruined it? Why do you want to just keep focusing on the negative in the past? Why do you need to look at the future? You know, you need to you need to be focused on the future. So that perplexes me a lot because uh, you know the, the 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 past, present, and the future they are on a continuum. So whatever is happening today is the result of events that happened in the past. Whatever is going to happen tomorrow is going to be the result of what uh, the events that are happening today and before that. So it's all in a continuum. It makes no sense to me to say that, okay, I'm not going to look at my past. I'm only going to look at the future. That, that makes me feel like uh, it's like you're having amnesia. You're, you're not self-aware. So in this, and there's a quote by Michael Crichton that appeals to me. So he said that if you don't know history, you don't know anything. You are like a leaf that doesn't know that it is part of a tree. I think this really applies to India. So unless we know what we have lost, we won't know what we have to rebuild and how we have to rebuild it. It's our, our past can be a motivating force to understand today's problems and, and know how to solve it. So we had a world-class education which produced the, you know, from right from schooling to uh, advanced levels, and it produced the best of craftsmen, engineers, you know, grammarians. My, I come from a family of grammarians. We produced the best professionals in the world in the past and but look at today's discourse uh, about our past it's all about the caste system about the oppression of women and about the sati system and such things so i knew that this had to be changed and uh, and i have done something about it so um, uh, when i published this book there was a very poignant comment i got from shilpa nargund and she wrote in amazon that when she finished reading my book, she felt cheated out of a superior education system. Uh, and she wished that my book would help to rebuild that. In fact, that's exactly the feeling I got when I was researching, that we, here was this superior education system that we had, and we have been cheated out of it. Uh, so now I am uh, coming to the end of my talk. I just hope that you will uh, buy my book, read it. I've kept it less than 100 pages so that even people, busy people, uh, everyday working people can finish it in about, in about two hours. And um, I hope my book will give you some data points, some uh, talking points, some inspiration, some motivation to decolonize yourself and uh, put yourself to the task of rebuilding India spirit. So thank you for listening to me. Uh, and now I look at the questions that I've got. So the first question I have is, which is the first one? Where do I start from? Okay. The first question is, how do you think the educational system of India would have been today 
if there was no disruption in the form of Muslim invasions and civilization. Okay. Uh, to tell you the truth, this is something that I have pondered a lot about. Uh, so I think our temple universities would have, uh, and the viharas would have evolved into modern universities. So if you know in America, most of the uh, famous universities today were actually funded by Christian uh, bodies, by churches. So I think our temple universities would have evolved into modern universities with a good mix of humanities and science subjects. Uh, and uh, I think... I think we would have had more holistic and critical thinking uh, in, in as an essential part of our education if there had been no no interference by the British. And uh, I think environmental concerns would have been built into our uh, subjects. I don't think there would have been a separate uh, subject called environmental engineering or environmental sciences or, or sustainability and such things. I think it would have all been part of every subject that was taught, whether it is chemistry or civil engineering. Um, and I think uh, if we had continued with our ancient system, then we would have been very strong in languages. So languages would have held as much importance as the sciences, because that's the way it used to be. Um, and I think there would have been uh, more literature in Indian languages. That got stifled because of the, the British rule. And I think the local knowledge of uh, arts, you know, the, the sciences, the poetry, the indigenous technologies would have been captured by our uh, education system. And uh, given that there were so many foreign students coming to India, I think there would have been a good uh, collaboration between uh, you know different countries, the way we see in the U.S. today. And uh, I think there would have been more innovation and less of blind uh, imitation. That's what would have happened if we had uh, uh, our own education system. Uh, what is the next question we have? Mm -hmm. Good to learn, uh, Preksha Single. Good to learn what all info is there in the books. Uh, okay, thank you, Preksha. Then what else? Mm. What should we? What should be done from here? Are the are there universities currently in India that are trying to recover lost ground, uh, Mr. Sridharan? That's a very good question. I know that there are a couple of universities, I can't recall their names, but yes, they are actually trying to bring about critical thinking. They are trying to make students take up projects, local projects, solve the problems of the people locally. And I know that IIT Kharagpur also is doing some good work, but I still feel that it's all very fragmented. We need to do a lot more. Uh, I think we need to completely overhaul our education educational system. I think it's very important to... Uh, to prepare the students just not just for a career but a, but for a life that was the way our ancient systems were uh, so i think uh, more uh, more that there should be more collaboration between industry and uh, the students and the professors so i mean there are many things to be done there is if we make ourselves aware of our edu ancient education system there are many things we can pick up from there and i'm not saying that we need should not take anything from the us uh, American system or the UK system, by all means, we should take the best elements of them. But we should also be inspired by our um, ancient education system because it was the best in the world at one time. Uh, so I don't see too many questions. Any more questions? Uh, it's going to be uh, uh, 30 minutes since I started. 
uh, what is it? Religion has always been closely tied to ancient Indian education. That is where the problem really was. What are your thoughts? Oh, there was no problem. With, there was no uh, demarcation between religion and science because religion would lead to science. Because but I'm not talking about Abrahamic religion. So when you talk about Hinduism, you have to realize that there's a lot of science in it. If you go and read the ancient texts, if you read Rig Veda, you read Yajur Veda, you read all the you know, uh, the, the Upanishads, you'll see that uh, our uh, our belief system was not divorced from science. It, it, in fact, it led to science. So yeah, so in fact, our our uh, religious system, if you can call it that, our open architecture religious system was very conducive to higher learning, advanced education, to answering questions about space, you know, about the solar system about the distance between the sun and the moon. And not to forget that uh, our mathematicians were very obsessed with making perfect squares, you know. And uh, so when they would do the yagnyas, they wanted everything to be perfect, all the shapes. And uh, they also wanted to know, the wanted the, the yagnyas to be done at the correct time. So they so that's how the calendar and the, uh, the time systems, and they all got perfected as a result of our religious practices. That was a good question. Thank you. Has the colonial education system led to our obsession with government jobs? Absolutely. I think the colonial education system, first of all, what they did was uh, they did this. They, they carried out a big survey and uh, uh, put everybody, slotted everybody into a caste. So they also criminal, criminalized a number of castes and put them you know, in, a, in, a, in a lower category. So in a way, they kind of uh, cast into stone uh, a system which was very loose, our Varna Jati Yavasta was very loose, so the British made it very uh, watertight. And then, uh, when they gave, when the jobs were handed out to people, they would give it to the higher, uh, the, the the higher caste. So that's how you know the. And then, of course, there was. Uh, uh, so this this British system continued when we got independence from them. Uh, so you, here, I would blame the uh, the governments after independence also, because if they had the vision, they could have dismantled it and built a new system. But yes, they continued with the colonial system. And today also we see uh, uh, many remnants of that. And uh, this obsession with government jobs. And government jobs were safe, where they didn't have to be innovative. No, I don't. Uh, so I think, yes, that is something that should have been changed. What can be done at individual level? Individual level, I would say, uh, please educate yourself about your history and be empowered. Uh, you know, uh, read uh, for. First of all, you should learn your own language. If you are a Maharashtrian, please learn Marathi. Learn to read Marathi books. If you are a, uh, from um, Andhra or Telangana, please learn Telugu, read Telugu books. So basically, be strong in your own languages and uh, learn Sanskrit. Of course, Sanskrit. if you could learn Sanskrit and go deep into it, nothing like it. Because there are so many books in uh, Sanskrit which are still not translated. They are lying in museums. They are lying in uh, uh, libraries around the world. In, I keep hearing about so many books which have not been translated. And uh, most of us are unable to access them because we, have, we need English translations. So what you can do at an individual level is to be good in your language, uh, in your Indian language, and then try to read. Use the internet. Uh, use the resources you have. What are the challenges to implement indigenous education system at policy level? That's a good one. Uh, I'll just take it in a moment. Is there anything that I missed? Okay. Uh, 
the challenges are many the challenges are inertia because there is a certain set way of doing things and we just want to continue with it because it's quite difficult to uh, overhaul the textbooks uh, and then of course the mindsets the colonized mindset where you know you want to imitate you want to imitate rather than taking a fresh look at everything and 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 there needs to be a master plan you need to have a master plan for advanced education at uh, in all the states and then follow that plan there there has to be uh, excellence uh, uh, like in singapore you see this this uh, culture of excellence and then there has to be inclusion everybody has to be included in the education system uh, um, and by everybody i mean even people later in life like like somebody like a woman of the 30 or 40 who suddenly wa who wants to get back to the education system what is there for her to help her uh, reach her full potential so that there are many things to be done there and the, there are challenges but all, but all these challenges can be overcome if we understand that there is a problem if we make if the government becomes aware that this needs to be changed and then it has a dialogue with the people and then goes about it instead of uh, arbitrarily just introducing some features so there has to be a master plan based on consultation with people with the uh, with the educated people most of the questions are coming from sarita the greeks romans and western europeans were precise like the fields of geometry arithmetic astronomy there is evidence that ancient indians knew many of these things before them we don't see too many written records from our ancients but there is enough and more evidence from the ancient europeans yes that's true because they have been uh, because they have they they translated our works and they preserved it better than us and we uh, you know that the nalanda library was destroyed so many of our libraries were destroyed so uh, we lost works that way and then when the when the uh, when the english education system came about and then people could not read their own languages their own then how could the, so then those earlier books which were written uh, simply got lost and we, it's hard to find them uh, anymore they were sold off as some kind of uh, rubbish so this is the problem but uh, but if you are able to access all those works and uh, read them and understand them we actually have plenty of evidence uh, in fact rajvedam from ihr himself has uh, has uh, found all the astronomical evidence in our texts which indicate the antiquity of our civilization and how uh, how we had made discoveries in uh, astronomy we knew so many things we knew we had made so many measurements and uh, we probably had even instruments to measure so yeah i mean the currently the greeks romans and western europeans have uh, are uh, considered to be the the inventors the first inventors but as the archaeological excavations are going on as more evidence is coming to light i think all these things will be revised so i think i have answered most of the questions i got is there anything else here any more questions or i can close uh, why doesn't government give importance to the ancient indian education system now and include yoga ayurveda scriptures well i know that yoga is definitely a big part of the government's agenda you have the international yoga day so no complaints about that but the thing is not just yoga as in exercises we need to understand them of uh, the 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 spirituality the 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 other the adhyatmic significance of yoga so uh, that part is uh, i think we could do a lot more on that uh, ayurveda also is quite being encouraged in india 
but again that uh, you know the link with the the link with the past has to be revived so uh, not many people believe in ayurveda they would still uh, prefer the western education system because they think it is more uh, advanced and again uh, you know the the surgical techniques and all those you know the the advancements in medicine that you see in the uh, in the conventional system make people go to that rather than ayurveda so i think we need a lot of research here i, I one of the things we need is uh, excellent research we need to research on ayurveda and see which aspect of it can be combined with modern education uh, modern medical systems and uh, how they can be uh, uh, used in a complementary way in an integrated way where does one buy your book okay you that means you have joined late you can get them on all the online uh, book platforms like book selling platforms amazon flipkart um, so go to any of these websites and uh, search for the book you can see i've kept the book at behind me as well and uh, or you search by my name sahana singh and you'll get it you can buy it, uh, buy even the kindle edition if you like after british colonization whole world is following british or western approach of economics if we change our system according to arthashastra how can we deal with world bank and other technologies like gdp yeah i know there are challenges i mean you can't suddenly uh, start using new terminologies but you know you have to work towards it you have to first of all understand the arthashastra how many of us even know what's in it we just hear quotations from here and there so it needs to be taught at the at the school level or university level in fact arthashastra used to be taught uh, in in the, in the schools so uh, once that happens and there's more discourse the, it is there in the public discourse then maybe you know even the international uh, bodies financial organizations also will start using those terms did not uh, the british bring in the concept of territorial integrity and the concept of a nation back than india as an idea uh no i don't agree i believe that the concept of india was already there megasthenes has referred to it uh, and most of the people outside uh, in in the uh, outside india referred to india with the limits of himalayas at the top the the the, the indian ocean below and uh, you know the uh, the various other boundaries the, the the boundaries boundaries of sea all the way along the west so yeah and even um, um, shankaracharya when he set up his mathas he went to the four corners of india so the concept of india bharatvarsha was definitely there yes but the british made a unified system of law and order uh, maybe we can give them the credit for that but but then the british destroyed everything by taxing us by just uh, bleeding us you know completely impoverishing us so i don't know whether you need to give them any credit for uh, anything that they did because they basically sucked us dry and used everything we had for the benefit of uh, britain any more questions when can we see you in an ndtv tv uh, ndtv debate with bipin chandra that will be the day i'm i'll be very happy to do that uh, uh is bipin chandra uh, so i i mean i would be happy that you it depends on how many people just a minute my how many of you buy my books read my books and uh, bring me to a level where i'll be invited to an ndtv debate 
I think I've exhausted, I've answered all the questions. I think I have answered almost all your. So, Sharwari Kulkani writes, I want to read more about ancient education. Can you please guide me to take the study further? Yes, sure. Offline, you can please get in touch with me. I'll suggest books. You can, uh, uh, and also, if you buy my book, there are uh, many references given at the back. That should be a pointer. When is your book launch? Well, my book launch was supposed to be in Houston. Uh, last month, but because of Hurricane Harvey, it got postponed. So it will probably be in uh, um, December or so in the UK. But in Singapore, I'm going to have it on October 4th. Dr. Makaran Paranjape is, uh, has kindly agreed to launch it. Um, and in fact, the next Indic chat next week at the same time is going to be Dr. Makaran Paranjape's uh, chat. So please uh, tune in for that as well. Okay, then I think I've answered all the questions. Thank you, everybody, for joining in. And uh, please leave your comments. I can still read them. Please buy my book. And uh, don't forget to listen to Dr. Makaran Paranjpe next week. Namaste again.